BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meteorologist Eric Fisher says there are few places on Earth that produce weather like New England. It offers the challenge of blockbuster snowstorms, hurricanes, tornadoes, heat waves, frigid cold snaps, and dramatic seasonal shifts. Eric just penned a book, The Mighty Storms of New England, the hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, and floods that shape the region. He writes that knowing the past is a critical part of understanding and forecasting the weather. Stories in his book describe not only the loss and damage caused by the storms, but also the progress made as a result. Perhaps one of the most valuable lessons we can learn from the past is how to better communicate the risk. And Eric is just the meteorologist to talk about this. Eric, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thanks so uh, much for having me. It's uh, great to meet up with some Weather Channel folks again and uh, have a little reunion here and talk about some of our local storms up here in New England. Yeah, absolutely. You're certainly a Weather Channel alum, so it's a, it's great that we're having you on the Weather Channel's signature podcast, Weather Geeks. And, you know, even though many of us know you and are familiar with you and many of the listeners may have watched uh, Eric on the Weather Channel, he's now, now in Boston, I have to ask you the question that I ask every Weather Geeks guest right out of the gate. How'd you become a Weather Geek? <laughs> you know, it's just been part of me since as, as far back as I can remember. A lot of people have that storm, right? You talk to a lot of meteorologists, there's one very specific event, and they said, aha, that's it. I don't know if I have one particular storm, but just as a kid growing up, I remember a run of very big snowstorms. We had the Superstorm in 93. Uh, blizzard in 96 were a couple of very memorable ones for me in western massachusetts uh, and great barrington had a huge tornado uh, memorial day weekend back in 1995 and i vividly remember watching the weather channel that afternoon seeing the sky color change seeing the warnings on the screen um, we had to drive home during some of those very intense thunderstorms fortunately we got home but my mom said everyone stopped talking in the car <laughs> right back um but then you know i just said this is it. And I had my weather journal and I would take observations, a little station in the backyard. I would call in you know, snow reports to the local TV spot. Um, I tried to take every science class I could in school and then went to college and it all just happened to work out. Yeah, so it's a really a story that you hear from quite a few of us along the way. Let me give you a little bit of background in Eric Fisher. He's the chief meteorologist for CBS Boston, WBZ TV News. He is also a frequent contributor to CBS News, often reporting on breaking severe weather in the country on CBS Evening News. He joined WBZ TV News from the Weather Channel, where he spent three years as a meteorologist, and he contributed to live reports for the Weather Channel, NBC Today, and MSNBC. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more of his background throughout the podcast. Uh, Eric is a graduate of uh, State University of New York at Albany, better known as SUNY to many of us, with a BS degree in atmospheric sciences and a minor in mathematics. So he is a card-carrying meteorologist. He knows his stuff. And I also find him to be one of the best, best communicators in this business, because believe it or not, um, many meteorologists are scientists, and certainly not all are on TV, but there's certainly a knack to communicating this information in a way that people 
uh, understand uh, and con and consume the information. Uh, a question that, you know, and shout out to Jen Carfagno, who actually uh, worked on the production and notes along with our team. Uh, I know there's some things that she wanted me to ask, and I know you all know each other well as well. She, How did the weather of New England help shape the decision? You, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but you've written about the weather of New England, but you've lived other places. Sort of set the context for New England's weather and how it inspires you and awes you compared to other places you've been. It's just a, a great variety here. Um, you know, we get a little bit of everything except for dust storms. And so whenever you're kind of getting tired of one type of weather, you said, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. The season shifts and you start to move on. I know a lot of other parts of the country have similar big changes, but here, if you look across uh, the United States, I bet if you did a survey and you tried to find out where every meteorologist was from, but there's a high concentration that's bred here in New England and the Northeast. A lot come from this region. Um, our trademark storms are winter storms, but we've got major hurricanes in our past. We've got big tornadoes. You know, for the longest time, one of the deadliest tornadoes in U.S. history was in Massachusetts, which is certainly not a place that someone would think about uh, off the top of their head. You, know, you think Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, but maybe not up in this part of the country. Um, and so it always keeps us on our toes and it keeps us humble. Um, if you want to be right all the time, don't go into meteorology because every once in a while, nature's going to pull one over on you. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, you know, we get the jokes that, oh, it must be nice to be in a field where you can be wrong 50% of the time and still get paid. I'm sure you've heard something <laughs> along those lines, but the reality is we're right more times than we're wrong. People just remember the occasional wrong forecast and uh, if it affected their plans or their cookout or their son's soccer team. I always say if you're uh, you're hanging out with your buddies and you're sharing stories, do you talk about how great everything is or do you have to talk about some of the conflict that's going on in life or some of the issues you're having? We remember those things. We chat about those, but oh, maybe we should spend more time talking about the sunny days too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're in football country down here in the South and I mean, you have the Patriots up that way. I mean, if the Patriots field goal kicker or the University of Georgia field goal kicker makes every field goal all season long. He's a good kicker, but I guarantee you they'll be talking about the one he missed in the bowl game or the Super Bowl. So. No doubt. Yeah. So, you know, but you, you, you know, you've, you, you're really solid meteorologist, but are, are there particular weather events in that region that you still find particularly challenging to forecast for? I think the number one trademark thing for us is snowfall, um, just because so much goes into a snow forecast. It's not like forecasting rain. Uh, you get a rain shower and whether or not you get a tenth of an inch of rainfall or three tenths of an inch of rain, well, that's no big deal. There was some rain and people aren't going to know the difference. But the amount of moisture that goes into snowfall, well, all of a sudden now we're talking three, four, five, six inches of difference uh, between that much moisture. So when we try to go into uh, you know a snowstorm forecast, trying to figure out how what kind of flakes are going to form in the cloud because the flake type will dictate whether or not they stack up nicely or they sit down um you know what's the ground temperature is it daytime is it nighttime what were some of the antecedent condi uh, conditions going up to a storm so much goes into trying to figure out something where three inches of snow will cause school to be canceled or will cause car accidents high impact weather so there's more on the line with snow than just about anything else up in this region yeah. And, and you've been in, in this field for a while now, 15 plus years or so. I mean, it's kind of shifting gears to the book. I mean, did you always have plans to write a book or is this something that just kind of poof appeared? Say, I think I'm going to write a book one day. I've got, you know, how, how'd that evolve? Yeah, more the latter. Um, it was something that I was kind of kicking around, an idea of, of writing a book at some point. It's something I wanted to try. It's just a, a new challenge. Um, but this particular book, the publisher, which is um, a place out of Connecticut, 
actually reached out to me and said, hey, we were thinking of doing this book and we thought that you would be a good candidate to try to write it. Are you up for it? I said, sure, why not? This uh, seems like a good opportunity to have a project here and something I'm obviously interested in. Little did I know that about a month later, the world would shut down because as I started writing it in January of 2020, then we were full-blown pandemic heading into February of 2020. And I had a lot of spare time on my hands uh, sitting around the house. We weren't doing a whole lot. Um, and so in between work, normal hours and raising um, our son, you know, I just tried to hammer away at it, research a bunch of these different events, learned a few new things. And um, we got it all finished eventually over the course of about nine months or so of, of looking into all these different events. And I tried to pick a few trademark storms for each type of storm. Um, you know, something along the lines of blizzards, something from tornadoes, something from coastal storms, something tropical, uh, and something more in the theme of summertime weather, which is usually lower impact for us here up in the north, but there have been a few really notable events in the summertime. Um, so, Dr. Shepard, I would say it's not an exhaustive list because I think a full volume of storms and interesting weather events in New England would be in the hundreds and hundreds, but I tried to pick 20 of the, the real big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Talking with Eric Fisher, meteorologist Eric Fisher, who is chief meteorologist for CBS Boston, WBZ TV uh, News. And one of the interesting things, and he, you know, we already have established that he knows this stuff. He's also a member of the Mount Washington Observatory and the Blue Hill Observatory in New England. So uh, these are storied uh, institutions and organizations in their own right. Now, you open the book, and by the way, get the book is called The Mighty Storms of New England The Hurricanes, Tornadoes, Blizzards, and Floods That Shaped the Region. Now you open this book in the following way. You say, a million things go on in the world every day, but there are very few that we all experience collectively. What do you, what do you, what, what inspires that statement? I think that's a really interesting and profound statement. You know, there's so many, I mean, where I work in local news, right? And every day on a local news station, it's all a number of stories. And oftentimes they might resonate with a good number of people, but you're talking about one town, something going on there, an event somewhere else, something that some people might be interested in, some things that maybe others aren't. Weather's the only thing that really all of us, we walk down the street, we're talking about it, we all experience it, we're all living it every single day. It's the most universal part of the conversation there on the newscast, I think anyway. And so I think that's why there are so many, I call them closet meteorologists, which is kind of the target of this book. It's people who have always been fascinated by the weather. Maybe they started college going into atmospheric science. Maybe their path just went into another direction, but they've never lost that interest in the weather. And we have thousands and thousands of them up here and I'm sure across the country. Um, there's just so many people who look up and they say, hey, you know, that's different. That's interesting. What's going on there? And we get those questions every day in the newscast. And, um, you know, I hope that this book mixes a little bit of kind of explaining the actual meteorology of what goes into each one of these events and then the real person impact on the ground. Some of the storm stories, some of the damage left behind and some of the change that resulted from each one of them. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. I'm speaking with meteorologist Eric Fisher. And we're talking about his fascinating new book, his career, and just we'll geek out on all things weather, I'm sure, before we're done. Um, but I want to sort of stay with the book because you you talk about some events that aren't current. They were fairly past events. Um, how'd you go about finding information about these things? So I think the most interesting one in there, the farthest back that we went into was the great colonial hurricane, 1635. Um, and I've had a few people reach out that have already read the book and they said, you know, I found that so interesting. How could you possibly know that a hurricane made landfall 15 years after the pilgrims made landfall up here in Massachusetts and know that it was strong? You know, talk about its wind speed and its storm surge. So there's a little bit of atmospheric sleuthing that goes in. And I, I do think now, you know, in society, we're all a little bit distracted, if anything. But back then, people were all about observation. Uh, the 16, 17, 1800s, many people were meticulous about monitoring their world around them, writing it down, what they saw. And so we have some pretty detailed records. And for a storm like that, a couple of the governors of the colonies here in Massachusetts were making notations of what they saw, how the winds changed. And you can figure out where the path of that storm was based on the wind direction, the speed that they saw at different points in southern New England. And then you can go back and you can do sediment data, which is kind of like putting an ice core in the Arctic and figuring out years past. We can put a sand core, essentially, down to the ground here in coastal Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And so you can look down and see where big storms deposited large amounts of you know, debris and sediment that came in from the ocean. And then you can start to say, well, OK, we can date this back 400 years. We can see that there is a huge surge that came all the way up to this point on the shoreline. That means we had a 21 foot storm surge. And if you know the surge, well, now you start to know the pressure in the wind because a certain type of storm has to have that intensity to bring in water like that. So it's interesting to go back and try to put together some of the puzzle pieces to see the big picture for some of the older events. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point you make, too, about just, you know, we, we are in modern times distracted with so much. Um, but, you know, in those times, you know, there, there weren't as many distractions. So you probably could pay more attention to what was going on around you. So that's really an interesting point. Now, th- your book is about the outliers. I mean, it really is about, you know, these weather events that stood above the rest, as you noted, and you, you selected a few of them. And in most cases, and even this is the case today with outliers like Sandy or Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, uh, these outliers often lead to changes in procedures and policies and so forth, or even how we communicate to save lives and property. Um, So you, uh, I want to just kind of sort of take a sort of tour through some of these that you sort of uh, focused on. I mean, you break the book into six parts. I mean, I I think they're winter, summer, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and ocean storms. First off, before we kind of start marching through a few of them, are, are there any particular parts that you think that the readers will find most surprising within the book or within these parts? Or, I mean, mm-hmm. is it all just a big, interesting surprise? I don't know. I think that some of the older ones are surprising. The feedback I've received so far, you know, the great colonial hurricane, the year without a summer, maybe some people have heard in passing, but they didn't realize 
what went into that and how unusual it was. Um, and the dark day, you know, a lot of people, that's not a phrase that a lot of people have heard of dark days. They are some somewhat typical, especially in the past. Um, but we had a very significant one here. Um, and it's interesting to look back at how weather was perceived. I think that it's fascinating. We kind of take for granted now weather forecasting, but a lot of these advances are very recent. I mean, forecasting was really just getting going in the 50s and 60s, really in a you know a more accurate type of manner. And so we've only gone a couple of generations of people who knew weather was coming. Um, you talk about the hurricane of 38, which is kind of our signature hurricane here. And imagine just waking up one day, you get your kid ready for school, you just walk off to work with your lunch pail and the worst hurricane of your entire life and in the entire region just comes in. You had no idea, not a clue when you woke up that morning or started your day. Um, I think that's fascinating, the way that weather forecasting has progressed and how that impacts society. I had a tough time picking more recent storms because we really have no excuse now. Every once in a while, the power of a particular event is too much and it's going to overwhelm society and our infrastructure. And that's just the way it is. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we should not have as high impact weather events as we had in the past, at least in terms of loss of life, because we can see things coming. Yeah, th this is a really great point you make. And speaking of recent events, our, our, our producers for this show, um, you mentioned that you talk about uh, the great snow and cold in February 1717 in New England. And I guess there were some significant stories about, you know, it glues and people having to burn furniture to stay warm. Uh, you know, tell us about that. And also, you know, the, the question, you know, is are there any parallels to what we just saw in Texas and Louisiana, for example, in, in uh, February or the winter of 2021? Yeah. So the 1717 Great Snow was always the big outlier winter until we had our 2015 snow blitz, which is kind of the modern version. You know, we have big winters, but to line things up where you're just getting hit after hit after hit and they're big storms, all of them, you know, that happens every once in a while around here, but it's not necessarily the norm uh, here in Boston anyway, or at least Southern New England. So 1717, you know, I, how do the people survive? You have to ask yourself at that point in society where, you know, we don't have, you know, all the heating and the technology that we have now but they found people that had just been sitting in their house buried for days uh burning furniture trying to stay alive they just saw chimneys sticking out and i have to say in 2015 some of the neighborhoods i drove through here um it was not much of the house that was still showing they were covering up the first floor windows when it came to some of those snow drifts um but it's also interesting you mentioned texas you know it shows that in a way we are still very vulnerable because now we're very dependent on that very infrastructure that for the most part makes life easier, but when it fails and you're used to it and you're dependent on it, now you're in big trouble. Um, back then they just had wood piles and wood furniture. So you just burned what you had in the property and that's what you were used to. Uh, but now how many of us would really know what to do or be able to manage weeks without heat or power? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, weeks without power. And in some cases, I think about the folks down in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, it might have been months in some cases. So, yeah, uh, really, it gives you a sense of now on the opposite side of that, you talk about the deadliest event in New England history, at least from a weather perspective. And the heat wave of 1911 
comes up. And I, I think this is an interesting point because, you know, of course, you know, as, as our climate is changing, I'll have people from time to time say, well, you know, we've had hurricanes before and we get heat waves before. Why, why is it such a big deal? I mean, this this notion that we've had a heat wave in 1911 doesn't speak to anything about climate change today. I mean, we certainly know weather varies naturally, even there's a, as we see climate changing. But a lot of people may not realize that this was a particularly deadly event. Talk about that event. It's so unusual, right? Because you think about the fact that we do see more heat now than we did in the past, and yet somehow this one extreme event was able to develop, and it's still you know, our top tier heat wave in New England, even though our averages for 90 degree days and our warm nights and the averages themselves have gone way up since then, you can still have these things that just all the atmospheric, you know, combination lock variables come together and you get something unusual. So in 1911, we had a streak of triple digit heat here in Southern New England. And you also, I mean, we get into this a lot when we talk about climate data and different sites and how things change, but a lot of our Temperature gauges back then were in different types of spots. They weren't at airports because there weren't airports. Um, so they were usually you know, on top of buildings. They could have been maybe not reading exactly the same as they would today. Regardless, it was extremely hot because it, it was killed hot. <laughs> right. a very large number of people. So either way, you're talking about a major heat wave. But across the region here, people were sleeping in the park, on the streets, on rooftops, anywhere they could go to try to get out of that you know, searing heat, which you're not used to. If you're in Texas, it might be a different story. You say triple digits or in Arizona, well, okay. Um, but everything's relative. And New Englanders are not used to or acclimated to that type of weather. Um, I also just thought it was fascinating. You, you go back through the records for that year, spring, yeah, it wasn't anything all that interesting. The rest of the summer wasn't very hot. It just all happened to come together for that one week uh, there at the start of July. And that still features our hottest all time temperature in Boston, 104. Wow. I, I, I bet I bet people listening to the podcast today and I'm talking with Eric Fisher uh, just learned something. In fact, when I when I saw that, I actually that was actually surprising to me as well. I want to shift gear. Now, you mentioned the, the hurricane of 1938, which still is kind of where you write the end all be all for that region. But I want to sort of shift gears and talk about. Uh, changes that came about because of some of these events over the years um, from a public safety standpoint, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, 1936 flooding. What's what's the connection there? And also the the, the tornado 1953. And I guess it's Worcestershire or which which I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> from that area. So maybe you can help me out there. But apparently uh, you write about how it may have helped with over alarming. So talk about some of these changes that were made as a result of some of the events you write about. This is what I learned the most in the process of researching the book. And it kind of came together as I got deeper into it and did more storms is that almost all of these higher end storms led to some sort of societal change um, or some kind of organizational change. So in 36, we had a couple of years of really bad flooding back to back. There's the 36 floods. And then right after that, there are the 38 floods that were tied to the hurricane of 38. So that was a rough stretch over a few years. And it was also a time where we're starting to get more technology. It was a time where there are big federal programs to get people to work, do a lot of building, of course, coming out of the depression at that point. Um, and so this is where they started to put in a lot more flood control on our rivers. And so we haven't topped those levels since on the Connecticut, even though you know you might've had more rainfall, you might've had wetter springs or wetter falls. Um, but we found a way to mitigate some of that flooding. So we saw a big change in that regard. 
and 53 with a Worcester tornado. Worcester, Mark. There you <laughs> go. I, I, I'd heard it, but, you know, my tongue just wasn't working this morning to get it right. <laughs> Fun fact, the first place on TV, Jim Cantore caught thundersnow. First spot. It was a storm. Uh, is that where he was? Yep. Is that where he was? I didn't realize that. You can look it up in, uh, on YouTube, one of these Yeah, yeah fa- very famous footage of our mutual friend, Jim Cantore, in his thunderstorm <laughs> snow reaction. And so uh, there, there we go. Yeah, and so that followed uh, a big tornado outbreak that was also the, the Beecher, uh, Michigan, Flint uh, area tornado um, that was devastating in that area. And it was just a year that was so busy that they said, we got to do something about this. And this is where they started to roll out national radar because they needed an advanced warning system to track some of these storms. The Worcester tornado was actually caught on a, a research radar from MIT. It was one of the first images of that classic hook and supercell storm that was caught in very rudimentary radar at the time. Uh, but then they also started to form what was the precursor to the Storm Prediction Center. Um, that very next year, they got things rolling. And so you had a uh, more concrete organization to track severe weather and try to give people a heads up that something might be coming. Um, also, right after that, we had Hurricane Carol. And Carol led to the formation. It was also another very busy year. It was also the year of uh, Hazel on the eastern seaboard, 1954. And of course, the National Hurricane Center is now an invaluable resource for a heads up on forecasting. And Carol was also the first storm name to ever be retired, um, which oh, I thought right? was an interesting tidbit. There's a nice little geek out for you on Weather Geeks today. Uh, that, that you can take. <laughs> we like to deliver these little nuggets. And certainly Eric Fisher is uh, certainly... Uh, the person that can provide these. Uh, After the break, I want to talk about some other things and this really interesting tour that he's on. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking to meteorologist Eric Fisher about New England weather extremes and his new book. Uh, now, you know, here's a really interesting question that our producers actually also provided. And I, I, I really resonate with this question. It says you wrote a book about extreme weather and you know how difficult it is to predict or communicate an event that many people haven't experienced before because people kind of get sort of rooted in normalcy bias, this sort of normal day to day. How do you approach and forecast and communicate these extreme weather events today? In other words, you know, people say, well, yeah, we get snow here in Boston all the time or, you know, I mean, but you, you can sort of see when something's going to be an anomaly event, as we saw, for example, the remnant of Ida in New York. I, what, what is your approach? So I know that uh, I'm part of the media machine, if you will. And uh, certainly the media has a bit of a reputation for making things big. Um, you're trying to get eyeballs, right? You're trying to make sure that people are tuned in or listening and they're paying attention to something. 
Um, but I would say that my tactic is more to not play up anything until I think it's a big deal. And I, I try to save it for the things that I think are higher impact. They're going to be uh, something that people really need to pay attention to and take seriously. Uh, I don't know if that is uh, the uh, most successful approach or not, um, but I have heard from people um, when we lead up to storms and they say, hey, we know you don't like to talk things up or hype it up unless you know it's going to be something significant for us. Um, so thank you, because now I know that this we had it just a couple of weeks ago uh, with the big windstorm in late October. And I said, this is real deal winds. You got to prepare for power outages. Wind is the number one headline. You got to take this seriously. Um, so I try to hold back a little bit until I know we're in some trouble so that people know that that is a significant time to, you know, batten down and make their proper preparations and not just go about their daily business. Um, yeah. What, what's, your, what's your philosophy or take on social media and the role it plays in how we warn about events today? It's, it's an interesting universe to try to navigate. That's for sure. Um, I find it more useful than not. There are still some days where I want to rip my hair out. No <laughs> doubt about that. I'm sure you're there too. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're trying to use the right platforms to get to as many people as possible. Um, in terms of information, you know, you try to be clear and concise, but also you want to be just personable. I, I think you got to talk like a normal person, right? Instead of just, you know, bogging it down too much in the science. You know, I think the best way to be a communicator is just to be the type of person that someone would want to have over for dinner or have a beer in the backyard or just, you know, hang out and be part of your, your circle, right? Um, if someone trusts you and they want to have that kind of relationship, then they're going to probably listen to the advice that you have, or the forecast that you have. So I try to go about it that way. Maybe it's a little um, uh, irreverent at times when it comes to weather and uh, what might be coming. But, you know, we, we try to be as serious as uh, we need to be when the weather is, in fact, uh, a serious thing to take into account. And I don't think there's uh, anything or any such thing as too much uh, good information. If you're doing a constant stream of updates, um, trying to keep those lines of communication open leading up to and during and after an event, um, then, you know, hopefully that you've you save some people some hassle and some trouble in their lives. Hey, speaking of brew or beer, uh, you're on something called a books and brew tour to promote the book. <laughs> Tell us what that is. Well, or is it just know, an excuse to drink beer? <laughs> manipulating the system a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I find here in New England that, um, you know, a lot of people like a good storm and a, a good brew to go along with it. Um, if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine, too. Uh, I've had people who show up that uh, aren't interested in beer whatsoever, but I it's drink a nice tea. place to hang out. Say again? <laughs> I said they can drink tea. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and a lot of our places have lots of other stuff that uh, they can be offered, too. But I think it was just a fun place, especially this fall before the weather was getting bad, to, to meet some people outside. And, and Dr. Shepard, you mentioned uh, social media. Um, one of my favorite things about this has been I've been putting faces to all the names of people that I've been talking to for years on Twitter or Instagram, or whatever the case may be. And then they show up and they say, hey, I love the feed. You know, I love all the updates. Um, it's nice to see you in person. I can now understand a little bit more of what they're like because you meet them in person. And um, it's been interesting to see how many are people that I've talked to for years but never actually had a chance to meet. So we've been hanging out and um, they've been pretty successful and uh, eventually we'll get into the, the bookstores as well. I suppose that's probably a natural progression, <laughs> um, but we've got a couple more coming up and we'll see what happens for the holiday season. But it's been a lot of fun and uh, the breweries have made some 
uh, custom weather-made uh, beers for the occasion, which has been a big hit too. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about our, I mean, our mutual colleague Betty Davis down in um, down yep. in Miami, and I saw on one of her social medias there was some hotel that made a custom cake. Uh, you know, I know Betty. Uh, you know, I know that she likes to bake, and so they made a custom cake. Boy, it really looked good, by the way. So I suspect that you might have some custom beverages there on that on that um, tour as well. You know, we're we're getting close to the end, but I, I, you, you've been really successful as meteorologists, Weather Channel, Today shows, NBC Nightly News, CBS Evening news and now the chief meteorologist at cbs station wbz in boston uh you have a large social media following what would you say is the secret to your success and will you write another book um well i guess i would say um don't fake it you can't fake it um you're if you're going to go into tv or media or just be in the public eye in general you just got to be yourself and hope for the best. I mean, <laughs> if you are who you are and um, you try to put it out there and you try to be real with people and people can sniff out when you're, you know, being something that you're not um, or putting on some kind of a show. And I think if you're just true to yourself, no matter who you are, you know, people will appreciate that. People will, they'll, I don't know, they'll be more on your side if they, if they know that you're, you're just, another person like them who's raising a family and going about a job and just trying to be a, a decent person. If you can do those things, I think you can be a good communicator as well to go along with it. Um, and then just work hard. Um, I think the best advice is when someone asks you if you can do something, you, you say yes. You know, kind of starting out, what, what was the opportunity? Um, was it working seven days a week for a while to try to get into a different spot and maybe make a better resume tape? Yes. Um, is there an internship available? Oh, yes. I would love to sign up for that. Can I help you out? Um, would you like to go on this trip? It's going to be seven days on the road, but it's going to be a big storm. I think you should go. Yes, I would love to go do that. Um, when opportunity comes up, you got to try to snag it and make the most of it. And um, I've been very fortunate. I've worked with some great people. Um, we have a great team here in Boston. Uh, my Weather Channel years were amazing. It was a, a short stint, shorter than I thought it was going to end up being. Um, this opportunity to come home in Boston came up um, a little bit younger in life than I was thinking it might. Um, but I've just had some great mentors, some great friends, and I always try to listen to people who are smarter than me. There's quite <laughs> yeah. a few. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you try to glean any uh, tidbits in their presentation or their knowledge and, and add them to yours. And, and then hopefully you've, you've made a, a good run of it. Uh, now, do you plan to write another book or will, is it one of those things that where if it hits you, you'll do it? I would love to write another book. Um, but to be honest, I'm not sure if the next one will be weather. Uh, I've got a few hobbies and um, I was kind of thinking something more along the travel lines or the uh, kind of the New England uh, enjoyment uh, circuit. I like to do a lot of road trips, a lot of hikes, I visit a lot of different places. And so it might be something a little bit different next time. Lord knows we could use an extra volume two, three, and four of New England storms because this one won't cover all of them, but it's got the big ones. Yeah. Now, just where can people find the book? So a lot of our local booksellers um, up here around Southern New England are carrying it. Uh, if you can't get which one of those, or you're listening from somewhere else. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. Um, a lot of your typical um, wherever books are sold, as they say in the business, I guess uh, you can find it there. Where can people follow you on social media if they'd like to do that? Sure. On Twitter, it's uh, easy. It's just at Eric Fisher, uh, E-R-I-C-F-I-S-H-E-R. -E uh, on Instagram, it's W-X, the old, uh, if you are using your um, 
Help me out here. <laughs> I'm losing it. Um, What's that? Morse code. Morse code. Morse code. Yeah, the w- WX for weather. Yeah, yeah, that was the uh, the shorthand for that. WX underscore fish. Um, yeah. I am not currently on Facebook, but. You can find me on those other channels. Probably a good thing for your mental sanity, but absolutely. Yeah. Eric is one of the best Twitter followers out there. If you're, you enjoy weather, so I highly recommend it. This is where we have to end it. It's been a great podcast, but before we do, it's uh, time for our geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist, superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's geek of the week is Eric Kirchner. Eric is a student and aspiring meteorologist who was nominated because he has his own weather weather website and weather-related Twitter and Facebook pages to provide weather coverage for the Cumberland, Maryland area. Hey, Eric, I used to live in Maryland. He does the weather report for his high school morning show called Allegheny Live. Eric is a trained Skywarn spotter and a weather-ready nation ambassador. Congratulations, Eric, man, you remind me a little bit of my career as a young, young um, student, so keep at it. If you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Eric Fisher, Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you so much. This was great, Dr. Shepard. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. And for you all, keep listening. We love you. And uh, you know, give us a shout out on social media. Tell us what you think of some of the shows. And we'll talk to you next time. This is Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. See you later. Mm-hmm.